good singers today. Glad to be here? Okay. <laughs> Some of you are. You guys glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? This is an awesome, awesome group of people to be hanging out with on Sunday morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. God is here with us and we're so glad. So as we continue worshiping, lift your voices. Sing to Jesus. Sing as loud as you want to sing, as soft as you want to sing, because God is here. He hears us. Let's praise his name this morning. Amen. the sun. 
Welcome to Crossroads. Aren't you glad to be here today? We're glad that you're here this morning. At this time, I'd like to ask you to please pass the friendship folders down the aisle. We certainly appreciate that. We, uh, our mission here at Crossroads is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we're thankful that you're a part of that. Uh, and then life that groups. Uh, our life groups are taking off. God is doing great things. I hear great things every week about our life groups, and so um, I want to encourage you, if you're not involved in a life group, please stop by our table in the back of the auditorium. Uh, somebody will be there to take your information, and we will help get you to a life group. We're trying to start as many new life groups as possible, because uh, this is a part of our our mission. This is how we bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus. When we connect with other people, we get to be centered, doing life together, living life on mission, and uh, and just looking at a few thoughts from God's Word throughout the week. Some groups are taking the things that we're doing on Sundays, and they're continuing the discussion throughout the week. And so I want to encourage you, jump in and be on a life group. Um, so this morning, I, I've asked uh, one of our deacons, Wade Baker, to come. Wade's part of our deacon team, and I'm thankful for our deacon team. They, uh, they have uh, a, a huge responsibility in the church. To, they, they're with me. They, they speak into me. We work together. It's our check and balance. And one of their functions that they do is that they, they look over the budget. So I'm going to ask Wade to make a few announcements here this morning about our budget. Sure. So um, Pastor Ken asked me just to... Um let the church know um, our, our accounting firm, Mayor Dussel, has completed their review of our records for the last fiscal year, which was ended June 30th. That's complete. Um, everything's in good order. We don't get a review every year. It's a fairly in-depth and expensive process, but we asked the deacon board asked the staff to do it this year as we were transitioning between Pastor Arnold as the lead pastor and Pastor Ken. So we have that. We also then wanted to let the church know that it's available. We don't publish them and, and distribute them, but if this is something that you're very interested in, which is not that interesting, but if you're, some, if you're interested, you can make an appointment with um, uh, Pastor Jim or, or, or Alicia, and, and you can look at it if you want to. We are very confident in the staff and everything runs very well so we're happy about that we're happy that it's here we're happy that they do a good job and we just want to let you guys know Uh, I want you to know that whenever you give to the church that uh, we are financially responsible. Uh, we're doing what we said we would do with it. As it comes in, we meet the budget. Um, one, of, one of the exciting things I want to share with you, that birthday gift to Jesus, we landed right around $113,000. Let's give God a hand for that. What a great God. Okay. So uh, one of the things that we're able to do, so for example, when you give to missions, that money stays for missions. We don't use it for other things. It goes right to where you said it would go. So that mission offering, what we had to do, we had to develop, and our deacon team said, hey, let's take, and we're going to take the, the, all the overseas missionaries. We gave them all an extra $1,000 on that list. Isn't that exciting? Let's give God a hand, what God is doing, you know? So... Um, we, we were able to send out uh, each one of them a, a thousand more. So you look on the list. If you saw it said three thousand, it's now four thousand. Uh, and then, uh, and then, 
there's a, a little bit left over that we were able to, to keep in there, uh, just a few thousand dollars. And what that will be used for is as a missionary calls and has a need, we're able to meet needs. And I'll just share with you, I already had a call uh, uh, this, uh, last week. A fellow called me. He's a church planner, and, uh, and he's been a friend of mine, friend of Pastor John, and a, and a network of churches that we know. And he said, you know what, I planted this church in inner city Philadelphia, and I am just, I am humbled to call you, but I'm asking for help. And I'm like, did you know we went to $112,000, you know? And he had no clue of what was going on. All I know is that God gave it, and we were able to bless him as well. Isn't that awesome? So things like that are happening. So let's just give our God a hand. I just want to thank God for who he is. I want to, I want to thank you, our faithful congregation. We can't do this alone. Uh, this is us together. We the family of God, work together. We're growing. God is growing your life. He's taking you deeper. He's growing you um, to reach out. You're bringing other people to Christ. It's been exciting to watch and hear the different relationships and how that you're praying and you're bringing people unto himself. God's growing you in the grace of generosity. And I, I thank you for your growth this year. It's been a wonderful, wonderful year. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward this time. We'll receive our morning offering. And uh, if you're here this morning as our guest, we want to encourage you to let this plate pass you by. Uh, this here is for those that are growing regularly in the grace of giving. And um, if you're our guest, please stop by our Welcome Center. We have a, a nice little gift. We'd just like to say welcome and thank you that you're here today. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, you are a great God. You are so worthy to be praised. I thank you for how that right now downstairs there are little children uh, hearing God's word, being taught the, the, uh, the lessons from God's word. We're, we're learning about, they're learning about you right now. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're studying uh, memory verses, God. Thank you for that. Thank you for this group up here this morning. Uh, as our, just our congregation is growing, you're blessing. Uh, this is your hand, Lord. We thank you. Thank you how I'm watching lives be transformed by the power of God. God, we thank you this morning for this birthday gift to Jesus. Lord, what, what a blessing it is for us to just give to your name, to be able to see a missionary and, and surprise them with an extra blessing on top, Lord. Uh, I, I pray that as those gifts go out, Lord, as they went out this week, Lord, and they are en route, Lord, that, that as those get processed by these different missionaries, that they will see the hand of an almighty God. And we thank you that we got to see your hand of the almighty God on this end. In your name we pray. Amen.
Just love. 
Jesus is worthy to be praised this morning. You know, let's sing that chorus one more time. You don't have to sing it with us if you don't want to, because it's, well, you can. I'd like you to. But what I'm trying to say is, come to the altar. You know, Jesus wants us to come to the altar every single day. He wants us, because his arms are so open wide for you. You know, Jesus never closes his arms. He always has them open wide waiting for you. So as we sing this next chorus just a couple times, let's just invite God to just really hear our prayers and to be here this morning with us. You can close your eyes. You can sing loud. You can sing soft. This is you and Jesus. You and Jesus, right? Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you this morning. We are just so honored that you even allow us to open our mouths to praise your holy name. God, you want us to come to the altar every single day, just be bowing before you, laying it all out there for you, Lord God, because you are offering us forgiveness. And so, God, as we come to you today, we just thank you so much for just the forgiveness that you do give us each and every day. It is so overwhelming, Lord God, because we do not deserve it. Every time we screw up or every time we make a mistake or every time we just don't feel like a child of the king, it doesn't matter because you love us. You died for us. You rose from the dead and you're preparing a place in eternity for us, Lord God. So as we come and just hear the word of God this morning, I pray that we will recognize that we are before the altar waiting for an almighty God and he loves us. Amen. You can be seated, please. Samson, found in the book of Judges, chapter 13 through 16. Uh, if you go there and you read chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, four chapters dedicated to the life of Samson, uh, you can read about this actual history that happened. Uh, you know, whenever, um, whenever I was thinking about Samson, I was doing a little bit of reading, there are some who feel that Samson was just a, a nice story that was like an allegory to teach us a lesson. 
And I think that there are many lessons that you can learn from Samson. But may I share with you this? This was actual history. This was not just, oh, man, what a nice fable story. The, book of, uh, the, uh, the, the chapters here in the book of Judges are all about Samson and the reality of, the, of a man who was strong, who becomes weak, who becomes strong. So we're going to take a few weeks here, and we're going to talk about the life of Samson based on the history of the real-life man, the real-life guy that lived, Samson. Uh, he was one of the judges, and uh, we're, we're going to look at that and, uh, and look at how the, how the strong become weak and how the weak can become strong. So it's, uh, it's easy for us to think about the strong. We always go to the strong, but we never think about how the, the strong become weak. And then we're going to look at how the weak can become strong. Now, the, the, the book of Judges, the book, it's Judges chapter 13. You can head over there if you have a Bible and like to follow along. Judges chapter 13 is where we're going to start. But just a little background to the, to the book of Judges. You know, when you're thinking about the judges, I always have this uh, idea of a formal judge. Somebody sitting with a robe on. He's got like a, uh, a black robe. He's a, a magistrate and he's got a gavel. And he's, uh, he's passing the, ju- he's the judge. It's a magisterial judge. Magisterial judge. And, uh, but I want, I want you to think a little bit differently about a judge now, because in the book of Samson, a book of judge, uh, the book of Judges, Samson can be known as a deliverer. Uh, in the book of Judges, each one of the judges, you will see that these judges are known as deliverers, okay? Um, so take that, that mentality away that they're sitting there with a gavel and think of them more as a deliverer. A leader, somebody who, who God called up to lead his people to deliver them from, from the oppression that they were in. Now, when you consider the judges, there was, there was a cycle that was happening. And this was the cycle that took place. Uh, the, the people of God would enjoy blessing. God would just bless them. They're his people, and he blesses them. They're living in uh, good times of worship and obedience. And then what would happen was they would just slowly fade off, and they would uh, drift off in their worship. They would no longer have a sense of heart worship. They would just become ritualistic, and there were different things and different times that they got really evil. And as, as they would get into these periods of walking away from the Lord, God would send oppression on them. And, and the oppression would come from different neighboring enemies. They would come and they would be oppressed by an enemy, by a neighboring country. And so from that time, the, uh, it's amazing what happens. When you get oppression, when something hard comes at you, who do you turn to? You go to God, don't you? That, and that's exactly what happened with the children of Israel. They would feel these hard times come and God would, God would get their attention. So they would cry out to God. And as they cried out to God, that God s- responded and sent them a judge or a deliverer. You look at uh, Gideon was another one of the judges. There were six major judges. The sixth one that we're going to look at, he, that's, that is Samson. And, uh, and as we look at that today, I want us to just have that little bit of background because what was happening, if you'll jump over here to uh, Judges 13.1, it says here, this is at the beginning, this is before Samson was born. Uh, the, the, the next verse we're going to go to talks about uh, the announcement of his birth, but it says in Judges 13.1, again, the Israelites did in the eyes of the Lord, did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. So here they are. They're coming through this cycle. And, you know, hindsight, we're able to look at the Scripture and say, man, why couldn't they learn? Why couldn't they learn? Every time they turned around, they were, they were disobeying, and then God would allow, allow problems to come, allow, uh, allow the enemy. He would, he would actually place them. As he says here, he delivered them into the hands of the Philistines. 
God took his children, Israel, and allowed this oppression to come on them so that they would respond to the Lord. Uh, verse, verse 2 here. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah, um, named Manoah from the clan of the Danites, so he's from the tribe of Dan, had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive, a, conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart to God from birth. He will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Uh, Samson here, he was, he had a, uh, God had a plan for him before he was born. The, the angel comes to his parents and he says, listen, the angel of the Lord says that you are going to give birth to a son. Uh, even though you've been barren and you think that you can't have a child, God is going to perform and do something that is beyond what you know. God is going to give you this son and this son has a purpose. And so he goes through, the angel of the Lord goes through and gives him all those, all those issues about the Nazarite. He says he'll be a Nazarite vow. Tells the mother what, uh, what she should do and what she shouldn't do. Uh, a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow was this. The word Nazarite, uh, the, the root behind that word Nazarite is consecration. So it was a vow of consecration. You had the tribe of Levi. They were priests. And they were already set apart. They were, they were consecrated to the, to the Lord. Now we have the, the, the next one is the Nazarite vow. So that anybody in any of the tribes could take a Nazarite vow where they set themselves unto the Lord for a period of time. Where they said, okay, for, for 30 days, I'm going to set myself unto the Lord. And during that 30 days, they would, uh, they would do these things. And one of them was to not drink. No wine. You couldn't have any wine during that time. You couldn't get drunk. Uh, there was no, no uh, you, you also couldn't come and touch something unclean. You couldn't get near an unclean body. Touching a dead body was an unclean thing. So you couldn't get around the dead. You couldn't get around unclean. And then lastly, but not least, was the hair. So you couldn't cut your hair. And of course, when you think of Samson, you're thinking about his hair. Uh, if you have any familiarity with Samson, you go to think about that hair and his strength. And you think about at the end of the story, it, uh, over in chapter 16, when Delilah betrays him and the hair gets cut and he pulls down the place, right? That's what we think of. We always go to there. But before he was born, the angel of the Lord says before he was born to his mom, don't do any of this. Don't, don't, don't be involved. You take the Nazarite vow because your son will have the Nazarite vow for life. So most people would take a Nazarite vow 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. It would have a beginning and it would have an end time. But for Samson, he was the one, he was one of a few people that had to take the vow, that was taking the vow for life. So before he was born, God had a plan. There were a few other people that had the vow for life like that. Samson was one. Samuel, if you go uh, and just to the next book, past Judges, you'll read in 1 Samuel about how that he also had the Nazarite vow. And then you can also look over in the New Testament, John the Baptist uh, had, a, had taken a Nazarite vow. And so th these were guys that, uh, that you know, they, the reason that they didn't cut their hair, that was an outward sign of something that was going on inward. So people would know that you are in a time of consecration. Well, Samson was a life of consecration. It was a life that was being given over to the Lord because the Lord said, I love what the angel, the angel said. The angel said that he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. 
that his parents understood this, this oppression of the Philistines. But here he comes and says, he will begin. This son that you're going to have, you're going to, name, you're going to give this child a name, and that child is going to be the one that is going to free us. In days to come, we'll take a little bit about how we see pictures of God's deliverance and what God did for us in Samson. But this morning, I want to look at the strength of Samson. I want to look at what made him strong and what made him weak. So uh, let's look here, uh, continue on. Judges 13, 24, and 25. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in, in the tribe of Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. So when he was in Mahan. So when he was in this particular place, he was uh, in, uh, between Zorah and Eshtal. God is blessing him. In other words, he's a young man and God is blessing him. The hand of the Lord is upon him. Um, we're going to look here this morning at, a, at what I call the silver spoons. You ever know somebody's lived on a silver spoon? You know, you ever say that to somebody, you know, oh, you, you grew up with a silver spoon, or maybe you said, I didn't have a silver spoon when I was growing up, right? Look at the silver spoons of Samson's life here, okay? The first one, we see that his birth was announced by an angel. The angel comes to, uh, to the parents and, and announces his birth. Now, how would you like that to be said of you? Wouldn't that be cool if you could say, well, you know, before I was born, an angel told my mom I was going to be the best looking kid in the neighborhood. You know, uh, the angel comes and says, this is what's going to happen. And so his announce was his birth was announced by an angel. His mission was declared by God before he was born. Before he before he was ever born, God said, this is what he's going to do. He is going to go in that verse uh, over there in Judges that he is going to begin the deliverance of the people of Israel away from the Philistines. Um, he was raised by godly parents. He had two godly parents. His parents were, were people that were uh, Jewish, and, and they loved God, and they, they knew the law. They raised him to worship. They taught him all the things of the, of the Old Testament. He knew God's word. Uh, he was blessed by God as a young man. Uh, verse 25, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. He grew, and the Lord blessed him, verse 24. Verse 25, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. That's the next thought here. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So here he is, from, from the time he's a baby all the way up here to about 20. We're going to pick up his life here in chapter 14, where he's about 20. But uh, think about this this morning, the silver spoons. He had all these silver spoons, and yet Samson made a lot of mistakes. Samson really struggled. And, and you know, maybe you can look at your life and you say, wow, you know, I, I see where I've had struggles, and, and I had a good upbringing. I had good parents. I had a lot of godly influence on my life, but yet I still struggled. And I want to encourage you this morning that you can come and look at the life of Samson, and you can take some lessons from his life, from this actual history, this actual man that lived, Samson, the strong man. I've heard some people refer to him as God's I'm sorry, as the biblical bodybuilder, all right? He was the biblical bodybuilder. What, what made Samson go wrong? That's the question. What made him go wrong? And here it is. Samson was incredibly strong. He was an incredibly strong man with a dangerously weak will. Would you read that with me? Samson was an incredibly strong man with a dangerously weak will. Maybe you can relate to that. 
the weak will. Maybe you can look at your life and you can say, well, there's some areas that I'm really strong, but some areas that I'm really weak at. Samson, he had all the strength. He had the hair. He had the muscles. He had the power. He had everything. And, uh, and yet, what he didn't have was victory on the inside. Samson was victorious with the enemies on the outside, but on the inside, he struggled. He was a loser with the enemies within. And just like so many of us, incredibly strong with tremendous spiritual potential, but at the same time, spiritually weak spiritually weak numbers chapter 6 you could go back and you can read that that Nazarite vow and and the things that he was to do and not to do he was as, as part of his consecration a life of consecration he was to have not drink any wine don't get drunk he was to go out and not touch anything dead not be around unclean things uh, and then he was also to not cut his hair for which he's most notorious right he had a great potential, but he squandered with bad decisions. And it's just like so many of us. We can be so aggressive at our work. We can be so aggressive and take charge and be leaders at work. But then when we come home, we lead nothing. When we come home, we're, we, we, we failed in, in some areas at home. We, we just kind of walk away from home and, and don't even take leadership there. We're aggressive at work and passive at home. And I think today God is looking for men that will stand up and be leaders at work and leaders at home. He's looking for women that will be aggressive for God in their vocation and aggressive for God at home. This is what God is looking for. He's looking for us to step up to the plate. And as we struggle with this, we look at a man, Samson, who struggles with this. Some men are committed to their finances, committed to their work, committed to their hobbies, but yet when it comes time to commit to a woman, they can't make a commitment to be faithful why do strong men fall apart that's the question why do strong men fall apart what causes strong men to fall apart samson's life shows shows a few areas of of weakness and and what what makes the strong weak so if you have your bibles uh, judges 14 1 and 2 i'm going to look here at the at, at samson here at 20 years old samson says this uh, the judges tells us this samson went down to timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. Uh, Timna was a, a, a town about three or four miles away from where he was at in Zorah. So you can say he walked about three or four miles to the next town. Now, he had no business being there. He went down to the town and saw that there was a young Philistine woman. And may I just throw this to you? Sometimes there are things that, that we should not be going to places that we cannot go areas of our life if, that you cannot go why because there's danger there's harm and so samson he didn't sense the danger because he was strong samson had the hair he had the muscles he was an incredible guy uh, when he returned chapter uh, verse 2 when he returned he said to his father and mother i have seen a philistine woman in timnah now get her for me as my wife he says, I saw her and I want her. I want you to think about Samson. Um, Mark Atterbury, he wrote a book called The Samson Syndrome. And he says this. He said that if Samson were alive today, he would have been on the cover of Sports Illustrated or GQ. Man bun guy. See, a few of you know what that is, right? Somebody just educated me that the other day. 
You can look him up, this man bun guy. He thinks he's something just because he got muscles more than this church, right? I mean, muscles everywhere, hair everywhere. This is who Samson was. Imagine this guy on the cover of Sports Illustrated, very sought after. Strongest man in the world, and the word was out. Imagine, you know, when I was younger, the strongest man in the world in those days was Lou Ferrigno. Remember hearing about Lou Ferrigno? Being the strongest man, you know, and the muscles, and, uh, right? Lou Ferrigno. Uh, that, was, that was a big deal, right, to see the strong man. And, and we, all, we all gravitate towards power. We all gravitate towards the guy who can bench 300. Yeah, that's pretty exciting stuff, you know. Which, by the way, I heard something on, on social media that some lady benched 300. That's kind of crazy. But anyhow, uh, th- this man could bench. You know, if you come around, there, there's a, a, a guy who could bench 300. We'd all come around. Everybody would be standing in the gym saying, yeah, look at that, you know. And I'd be over in the corner with my little handheld weights, right? Um, you know, it, it, it's like we're drawn towards power. And what, here's what happened. He had power. He was a strong man, but yet on the inside, he was so weak. He said, I, I, I've got this under control. I can handle this. And he goes out and he goes down to the town of the Philistines and he sees something that he wants. And he comes home and tells his mom and dad, I want it and I want it bad. She's right for me. She is right for me. Now, Samson could have had any of the Israelite women. Any of them. They were probably standing up in line to talk to this guy. Every one of them wanted to sit by this guy and, 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 and talk to him, right? To stare him down. Uh, but yet, what's he do? He leaves the area that he's, he's in. He goes to another town. He goes into enemy territory. Bad news to begin with going into enemy territory. But he's walking around. You know, just see this guy buff and he's walking around. Hair flowing everywhere. Yeah, I'll take one of those. And he comes back and he tells his, his mother and dad, yes. Because it was, it was common in those days for prearranged marriage. So he comes back and tells his mom and dad, please, go get her for me. Because she is good. I want her for my wife. And let me share with you what was Samson's downfall. Samson, as we are going to look in a few weeks, we're going to see the major downfall where Samson gets his eyes gouged out and, uh, and he is a, a laughing stock and he pulls the whole place down. God is with him once again. And we see this victoria, victorious thing at the end. But for 20 years, he had issues. And one of his major issues was this issue of lust. You know, when we think of that, lust is, is really that. I want it and I want it now. I want it, and I will do whatever it takes to get it. It's part of how we're, we're made, aren't we? Uh, we? We all have a desire. And so, so here, here he comes, and he says, I want this. It's a physical, sexual desire. And he says, man, I want this woman. Now, God's given us desires. But those desires have to come under, under the bridle of God. Let me share with you a little bit of what lust does. When, when we are driven by lust, all right, uh, when we're driven by lust, in other words, I want this. It could be sexual. It could be physical. It could be emotional. It could be a job. It could be career. It could be money. So whatever the lust is after, where you're saying, I want this, and I have to have it, and I will do whatever it takes to get that. And here's what happens. When we are driven by lust, we tend to ignore spiritual considerations we ignore the spiritual considerations in other words god said over here this is this is what's good for you this is the way by the way god's law was not 
about trying to make you like a robot. God's law, he understood everything about you. So his holiness, what he's doing, and when he's given us something in his law, he's given you something so that you will live to his glory. And when we live to his glory, we perform the best. We do the best in his glory, right? So here we are. When I'm driven by lust, lust causes a person to ignore spiritual considerations. So God says over here this, but I want this. And I'm going to run after this, no matter what God says. You see, Samson understood. Samson had godly parents. His godly parents, you know what they taught him? They taught him don't marry from the nations next door. Don't marry from the nations on the outside because God said, I don't want you to intermarry with people who don't worship me. That's what that was all about. It wasn't that God hated the other nations. It was that God said, I don't want you to lose your worship. I don't want our relationship to suffer because you're going to go and marry somebody that worships a false god. So that was the rule. That's what they were supposed to do. What does Samson do? He goes into enemy camp. Yeah. I got the Fabio hair going here, right? I got the Lou Ferrigno muscles going, and now I want it. And he's driven by that lust. Now let me give you something spiritual to consider here. In Psalm chapter 8, Psalm chapter, uh, Psalm chapter 8, verse 5, the whole chapter 8, is, it's about worship. And he's saying, Lord, how majestic is your name. He's saying how high the heavens are, how high God is. And then he says, who is man that you are mindful of me? And then he says, and, and, and he's talking here about man. He says, you made them only a little lower than God. And you crowned them with glory and honor. You were made just a little lower than the angels. Do you look at your life like that? So when we're, when we're driven by lust, when, when lust, when we're, we have this drive to, to I'm going to get what I want, and whether it, whether it harms my family, whether it harms anything, I disregard what God says. Now, here's the spiritual consideration. You were made a little lower than the angels. Consider yourself a spiritual creature. Consider yourself for who God made you. And do not, do not go the way of squandering this beautiful gift that God has given you. Because God has made you this wonderful creature in his sight. And you are above all. You're above all the created beings. Do you understand that? You're above all animal life. You're above all plant life. You're above all these other things. And you're made in his image. There's God. Here's the angels. And then there's Ken. Do you understand? There you are. You and I, we are right there. We are created that high in the order of importance. Don't, don't. Here's what happens. When, we, when we're driven by lust, I want that now. I want that woman even though God says I shouldn't have that woman. Man, you know, lust will destroy a man. It does. It's so good, right? Because we're driven. We got this drive. But we got to take the drive and bring it back to the fruit of the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. So there's areas of our life. When, when lust kicks in, we've got to come back to God and say, Okay, God, I'm going to spiritually consider you. And I'm going to consider that I am made in your image. And you made me just a little lower than, than the heavenly, heavenly angels. Uh, lust causes a person to ignore God's plan. 
It really does. Here, here God had a plan for Samson, and Samson, Samson is going to be the one who will begin to deliver the people. And when you're thinking of that, you're thinking more like a military. You're thinking like this big, kind of like the Exodus, right? You're thinking something strong and powerful. Well, he was strong and powerful, but not on the inside. And one can only think that if Samson would have made different decisions, that would be, writing a different, would be reading a different history of, of the life of Samson. It causes us to, uh, to ignore God's plan. Make a plan. Here's what you do. You, you need to make a plan. See, God has a plan for your life. You need to make your plans line up with his plans. And so if we're going we're gonna to conquer in the area of lust, all right? And listen, this is an area where we all have to deal with because we all have things that I want. And we tell other people to get them for us. And we're driven by these things. So I want, I want, I want. And so we, we have to take that I want. We have to surrender that to God. And so the first thing is to come before God and, and submit to him. 1 John 1, 9 says, He is faithful and just. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So that means he will forgive. He is faithful. You're not. He is. He is faithful. He will forgive you of your sin. So first, number one, we come before him. Number two, we get right. We get right with the Lord. We say, God, all right, here, it, here's where I'm at, and here's some areas of struggle. So I've been going here, and I've been saying I want, and I've even been taking. Now you have to come before the Lord, and you say, okay, God, I'm going to get right with you, and I'm going to put a garden around my heart. And as you guard your heart, okay, Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. You have to start on the inside with your heart. You know, these guys who like to restore cars. Ross Haney's here. He loves, loves playing with cars all the time, putting them back together. You know, the last thing that Ross does on his cars is the paint job. You know, when he restores a car, he doesn't bring it in and put a paint job on first. The first thing he does is he opens the hood and he rips the engine out. He was telling me about a car the other day he ripped out hundreds of wires out of, okay? And I was like, huh? <laughs> I'm just blown away by that. But what he did was he started with the heart. And he took the heart of the car out and he says, we're going to rebuild this car. And he's putting it in and it's going to be strong. It's going to be muscle. You know, Ross, all right? It's going to be good. But he had to do it not by the paint job. He had to do it by opening the hood. This is what we do. Guard your heart. Work at the heart level. Guard your heart because above all else, this will determine your, your life. And right now you say, well, I'm dealing with some things that nobody knows about. Let me tell you, you're dealing with it. One day it will destroy you. One day it will destroy you. So as we come to those areas, you've got to submit before the, uh, the Father. You have to come and, and bow down before him and say, all right, God, I'm going to guard my heart. And so I'm putting up this, this guard around my heart so that my heart is given to you, Lord. He says to guard our heart. And then run. The other, the other admonition from the Scripture is to run. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Run, guys. Men, we've got to run. Uh, women, you have to run. You have to run away from this. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. So, so get right with the Lord. Uh, make a plan. Make a, your plan is to run from the things that, that, that are part of your lust. We're saying, I want, I got to have. Uh, get help. Notice the verse says there, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord. Uh, companionship, you've got to surround yourself with people 
people that will speak into you, people that you will listen to. You need to get busy. You need to take those idle hands. And if there's areas of your life that you're saying, okay, man, I, I seem to get in trouble when. Well, that's when. You get busy. And you, and you find something to go do for God. And you begin to fill your life with the good things. Lust causes strong men to ignore good advice. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord. Lust causes men to... to, uh, to to, lo- to ignore good advice. Uh, you know, when you hear good advice, you write it down. Did you ever do that? I, I was reading about a guy. He, says, he said that when he heard good advice, he wrote it down. Here's a few things he wrote down. He says, when you are depressed, listen to country music. The people in the songs will always be more messed up than you are. Good advice, right? He wrote it down. Uh, he says, don't worry about flunking algebra. In real life, there's no such thing as algebra. <laughs> Uh, here's this one's great. He says, "Always buy your parents' nice gifts. After all, you don't want to inherit junk." Okay, <laughs> now, good advice. All right. So when you hear good advice, you have to write it down. And so here's what happens: when we're driven by I want, we can't even listen to the people that are speaking to us. Butch Harmon. Maybe you've heard of Butch Harmon. If you're a golf enthusiast, you've heard of Butch Harmon. Butch Harmon is the the instructor the coach, the personal coach for Tiger Woods. He's been coaching Tiger since he was 17 years old. Butch is an incredible guy, knows so much about golf, but so does Tiger Woods, doesn't he? And you say, Tiger Woods is going to pay this guy to instruct him. And so this man, Tiger, knows easily as much, if not more, about golf. But what he pays Butch to for all these years, he pays Butch Harmon to look at him and to tell him when he's made a mistake. To tell him when he's arid so that he can improve. So he pays Bush to be another set of eyes on his life. On his, on his I shouldn't say his life, but on his, on his golf game. And that's what we need. We need to pour people around us that will be another set of eyes on our life. People that we can be honest with. Be accountable. You know, accountability is whenever I sit with somebody and say, Here, ask me these questions. And then the last question is, did you just lie about anything? I, you see, because I'm, I'm, I'm opening my heart, opening and saying, hey, where am I at in this area? Look at Judges 14, verses 3 and 4. Judges 14, verses 3 and 4. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our people? In other words, he's saying, isn't there an acceptable woman among the nation of Israel? God's provided all these women in Israel, and you know we're not supposed to go to the neighbors. We're not supposed to go down the road to the enemy. He says, must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? In other words, must you go to the, to the nations, our enemies? These are our enemies. They're, we're under the oppression. He couldn't even listen. He says, I want her. Go get her for me. But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one. I could just hear what's going on in his mind. She's so beautiful. You don't understand. She's for me. Verse 4 is the great verse. It says that his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling over Israel. His parents, in other words, didn't see the hand of God when Samson was making foolish decisions. He didn't see it. They didn't see Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good. All they could see is, Samson, what's wrong with you? 
Why must you go? You've been endowed with these muscles. You're, you're a gift of God. You have all this potential, and you're going to go next door, and you're going to do what God said not to do. Why must you do this? And I want to encourage you this morning with your life. God has given you so much potential. And even when you've made some decisions, that your advisors, that the people around you say, why must you do this? Even when you've made those type of decisions, God was still at work in your life. Let's bow in prayer. Heads bowed and eyes closed today. I want to invite you to respond to the goodness of God. Respond to his greatness. Samson's all about deliverance. A strong man becomes weak. A weak man becomes strong. God uses him to deliver the people. So I ask you today, will you allow God to deliver you? Deliver you in the area of lust and many other mistakes that Samson that made. We're going to look at a few others next week and the weeks to come. But the number one thing that will tear down a strong person is lust. Going after what I want at all costs. Whether it's a, a woman, whether it's a job, what you name it, you fill, fill that in, what you're, what you're struggling with there. But what drives you this morning? Would you surrender that drive to an almighty God? Father God, I come before you and I pray that you'll be with our people this morning as they respond to you. God, I thank you that that you gave deliverance for Samson. That while Samson made so many mistakes, I thank you for Judges 14.4 that God was still involved. And even when Samson was making mistakes, his parents couldn't understand. And Samson certainly didn't understand, but you were involved. God, I thank you for each person in this room. You've been involved in their life every step of the way. And whatever mistakes, whatever bad decisions, whatever things that they've been dealing with, Lord, you have been there. So God, I pray for each one of us today. Help us, Lord, to surrender, to make a plan, to develop a plan so that we don't let that stuff drive us, but that we are driven by God. And we, we consider the spiritual consideration. We consider the plan of God for our life. In your name we pray. Amen. Oh